Welcome to the Mind Sensei Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Taz, and I'll be taking you on a journey to the world of martial arts and introduce listeners to some of the most aspiring and knowledgeable practitioners from around the world. Whether you're a seasoned martial artist or a curious beginner, or just enjoy hearing a great story, the Mind Sensei Podcast Down Under has something for everyone. So tune in, sit back, and let us take you on a journey through the world in martial arts. Welcome back, dear listeners, to the Mind Sensei podcast. I'm Peter Taz, your guide into the realms of martial arts and the mind. If you're just joining us, you stumbled upon part two of our special episode featuring the remarkable Master Ed Downey. But if you've missed the first part of this extraordinary journey, fear not. The tales we shared in part one are essential to understand the depth of Master Downey's experience and wisdom. Take a moment to rewind to catch up because the gems shared in the initial episode are the foundation of what's to come. In part one, we explored Master Downey's early days at the Dublin Kempo Karate Academy, his friendship with Master Parker and his tournament victories that all shaped his illustrious career. Now in part two, we delve even deeper into the advanced Kempo Karate system, international collaborations and a profound connection between martial arts and the mind. So when you're returning for more insights or just starting this journey with us, buckle up for another captivating episode with Master Ed Downey. Let's continue unravelling the tapestry of Kempo and Mindfulness. Without further ado, let me introduce Master Ed Downey. In 1995, you become the European Director of the AKKS. What was happening with the AKKA? Um, we were going to form, and this was the bulb that we were going to form our own association. But Mr. S- Mr. Speakman established association. So most of the other, most of the senior Kempo people liked what Mr. Speakman was doing. And they said, right, we'll, um, we'll join up. Everyone joined in. And Mr. Speakman asked me to be his European representative. And that, I did that for perhaps, I suppose, about five years, uh, uh, thereabouts. And um, we had, we, I've been to Las Vegas a few times and we did things in Europe. And that went pretty well. And then... Mr. Speakman began to want to develop his own system. I think more and more he was he was going. He had like a Kempo Kempo Five O, and I wanted to stay with I wanted to stay with Ed Parker's Kempo because that's what I like to do. Basically, we parted ways, and we're, I, I still consider him a very good friend. He had a vision of what he wanted to do, and I, I personally. I, I still I still I still think that Ed, Ed Parker's system is still so much to offer and uh, I'm really enjoying teaching it. You know, and I'm I'm still open minded to all styles. I think out of respect for Mr. Speakman, I said, look, you know, I, I was happy for him to do what he wanted to do, but me and Mr. Sepulveda, we decided that we wanted to, you know, uh, Mr. Sepulveda set up his own association and I, I said, Well, I'm with you. So what we did in Europe, we said we we the European Kempo Karate Association. Because it was like names kept changing. I have this vision of like stability, and I said, right, we let's let's create something that's stable, you know, that lasts a long long time. Like in our association, like we don't lose people; people stay with us for a long time. We we treat people very well. We train them well. People are happy, 
And I know over the years, and I'm sure you've had experience in Australia, where from instructors treating students and how it should be like a good school. And I like I feel like the dean of the school or the principal and you know teachers are are training the, the students well, and the, the graduates have a good standard and there's a good ethos and a good atmosphere. And that's where I, I want for our association. And I also wanted, you know, to be, you know, me and Mr. Sepulveda, the way we look at Kempo and we, we have like people that we look up to in Kempo and Bob White was an amazing friend, Mr. LeBounty, Mr. Wedleck, Mr. Lelliot, all, all those people. That's the kind of, the, I suppose, branch of Kempo that, that we kind of really, it, it's a Kempo that we love. And I think so much to offer there. That's where we're at. When we mix in with with all those people, it, it's like seamless. We're all on the same page. We're all on the same viewpoints. So, and that's where we like to be. 2006, your 25th year as a black belt, you're promoted to seventh by Sigung Labani and Mr. Sepulveda. Tell us a little bit about that little experience. Yeah, that was in, in our one of our camps in Portola. For me, in my head, I, I know the significance of different things. So Ed Parker, the highest rank was well, if you discount Elvis Presley, always rank with seven degrees, so pretty impressive ranks. But I think for Mr. Sepulveda and Mr. LeBounty, it's more like the lineage they come from and where they've come and what they've done. I think it was just great recognition for me and my students because personally, I think the rank six, seven, eight, nine, ten has to be a reflection of, of your contribution. You know, if you're if you think about it like your students, the kind of person you are, it's a leadership role. Although still I, I think as a practitioner I'm still very competent, very capable. It's all about ho- hopefully the seniors that are ahead of me that they've chosen to to, to, to award that rank based on that. I was hopefully a good leader and, and you know I think it, 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 all seniors their their legacy has to be that they set up that the next generation of, of people are there, good, solid people that will bring Kempo forward. And and still, you know, we, we, when we put a lot of time into something and, you know, 20, 30, 40 years or 50 years, whatever it may be, you'd like to think that when you pass the baton, that the baton is you pass to somebody that has the same value as you and the same love of what you do. And that's getting... You know, like I, I would say, I, I was so happy at seven. I said, this is it. Just, you can't get any. This is the way, this is where I want to be. You know, I don't, I don't really want to go any more than this. This is just, just right. Like I'd go to a seminar and I'd welcome any, I, I usually welcome any questions about anything purely because if I want to share knowledge and if someone asked a question, I said, that's a good question. Here's what I think. Here's a, here's a part of an answer. You know what? I'm going to look for the rest of the answer. Someone recently said, you, you, you lead, follow, or get out of the way. I think that's what they said, lead, follow, get out of the way. And really in military school, they probably train people to be generals and train people to be, you know, leaders. I don't think we're that fortunate in Kempo. It's it's very random. It's like a seed falling on a on an island and then maybe catching growth and developing. There's no, I mean, I was fascinated that Kempo's development was completely random as uh, all to do with just migration and people just happen to be in the right place at the right time and whatever. There was no kind of like, well, here's a school of Kempo and we're, we're going to have like really high qualified leadership roles and per- we checked up. I'm sure the military will check personality tanks and whatever. Can you imagine again this ideal 10 degree walks out and he's just a great personality, good leader, has all the qualifications. I mean, if you had this university that produced these guys, but that doesn't work like that in Kempo. And 
Mm. You know, I, you know, our system, martial arts in general are kind of dictatorships. Are you fortunate that, look, that your particular dictator is actually a decent guy? I just try to remember the, the trials and tribulations that I had as I tried to, like a minefield of Kempo, like politics of who's who and what's what, and even just getting information was a challenge. So that now I never let that happen with my students. They get trained properly, they get prepared properly, then they, I set the highest standard I can for them. The information is there. They get exposed to the best teachers. I have an instructor, Mr. Sepulveda, he, he's coming for 30 years. Mr. White was coming to Ireland for 20 years. Mr. Parker, when when we had him, I, you know, he's coming to us for 10 years. So it's a lot, it isn't a once, it's not a, a short-term relationship. I, I want, it's a long-term relationship. So for me, that's what high rank is about. And, that, you know, when I, these ranks are, are awarded, I kind of go, oh God, I was saying to one of my black belts the other day, the more red you have, the more responsibility you have. Yes, yeah, yeah, correct. Correct. I I think the further you get in distance, you know, to an isolated country, say like our own, the worse the politics and everything else gets, the worse the dictator is, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I was out with your guys, I remember talking, I won't say names, but all the guys said he, you know, who was he told me he's an instructor and I said, oh, does, does he work with you? No, not anymore. I said, what do you, I'd see him once a month. I said, why do you see him once a month? I said, to give him 50% of my income. I said, why are you giving him 50% of your income? He says, well, he's my instructor. I said, but he doesn't teach you anymore and he doesn't help you. And I go, why? Why are you doing that? You know, he, and the particular guy, it wasn't, a, was it kind of a, bit of a loose cannon in my mind our peers and seniors and instructors should be people that we look up to not who have the highest rank just because someone has the highest rank shouldn't be that 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 isn't just that's only a, a number i think the issue was they never enforced the pledges as if you read the black belt pledge you'd understand the whole thing exactly divesting the uh, gullible well, yeah. into unprofitable parts right I think with rank in general, I think what we face is is that because rank is so freely given and available out there now, I think it maybe go back to the old traditional martial arts is who's your teacher, who's his teacher, you know, and so if you're a teacher and you have students or whatever, and there's a quality and a, a standard because the rank is so confusing, you're not really sure what you're facing. I know, I know Dennis Canaster did, did something about him any 10 degrees and it was in the hundreds. And I'm sure there's some very capable people there. It doesn't make sense to have that many. It doesn't make sense. And um, and uh, I think it's also like we talked about earlier, I think it's the, you know, look at the person, look at it's the quality of the person, the personality, the, um, the, you know, their students, you know, their intelligence, their intellect. So many things that are, that are important that you want from an instructor. I think if that's where, I think the future law is for, or hopefully that's where people, the good people will attract other good people. Hopefully that's the case. So you started in 1973, um, went to 1977 with Mr. Conway, then started with Mr. Mark Marn, 1981, got your black belt, then connected with Mr. Parker, got up to third with Mr. Parker in 1988. In 1990, uh, unfortunately, Mr. Parker passed away. You started with Mr. Sepulveda 
1991, 1996, you did your fifth, we discussed before, and then in 2002, you joined Mr. Sepulveda's system, and 2006, you got your seventh. Now, your current rank is ninth, is that right? Yes, yes. Okay, yes, so yes. so with your, tell us about your, tell us about your ninth. So that was 2018, so that was about five, five years ago, I think, maybe not five years ago. Same thing, it, it happened at the European camp, and I think Mr. White was there, all, everyone was there. It's more like, in my mind, I'm, I'm benchmarking it up the other people. And I'm benchmarking it up Mr. Sepulveda, Mr. White, Mr. Lelliot, all the other people out there. And I'm going, no, this, uh, uh, you know, this, this, how, how can I be this rank? I mean, because I'm, I'm still in awe of Mr. Parker and all that kind of stuff. We had many debates, Mr. White and Mr. Sepulveda, had a long, long debate about going to tent. And they basically realized that we are, we have a system that, is it, well, someone said it's a tent degree system. And someone actually came up with a formula and saying that if we cut the cut it off at night and they didn't go to tent, that means we're eliminating a degree from the system. And that would mean that they would stay at night and then the highest would be eight. And then, and then if wherever, it would backtrack basically to like there. I kind of, 2018, I mean, I have 40 schools under me. Probably, I think at this point, I have 231 black belts. You know, 231 black belt students. One of the guys was breaking it down for me, and he was going through how many, like, what currently what I have. I think 231 black belts, I've, I've, I've three eight-degree black belts. Um, I've one three seven degree black belts, five, six degrees, 12, fifth degrees, 40 and four degrees, 35, third degrees, 46, uh, second degrees, and I think 112 first degrees. And you would think that that sounds like a lot, but um, that's 50 years. Well, you know, maybe 40 years of teaching. And believe you me, them, every one of them guys, they, it was blood, sweat and tears. What, what has happened for, for MIDI to, to get to ninth, it was like, we have four clubs in France. And what happened in France was, um, I went over to teach a seminar in Belgium, actually. And some people in France who, who were interested in Campo, they were they have been doing another style. They said, um, they see me and said, want to do Campo. So the lead student moved to Ireland, lived in Selbridge. We got, a, we got him a combination here. He got him a job here. And he trained five days a week, you know, four or five hours a day for two or three years here in Selbridge in the Black Belt. Then he went back to France and he established his school. And then we did then another school, another school, four schools. And we, they are like our clones. They, the standard they have, the ability they have, the dynamics they have. It's funny, there was a promotion recently for the IKK championships in Europe on in a couple of months' time. And they have some pictures and videos of people that do forms and techniques and fighting, you know, at the other show, what, you know, with the Campo Championships. And I kind of smiled because all the pictures and videos of my students, they're all my, they're all my students who are demonstrating them and competing. They're not, they're their students, but they're just showing people who are winning events and it's all my students winning events, which is really nice. And it's nice to think that they're taking them as an example. The way I looked at it, I'm responsible for the French. We have the Spanish, Portuguese, the Italians, the, the Germans, the, the Danish. So we have so many people all over Europe. And 
the highest rank in France is a fourth degree, but he's very capable, very strong. And these guys, I've I've been teaching them since we were children. Who's your guy in France? So the highest guy is Aurelien Aurelien Donet. He's really strong, black belt, really really good. And then there's the other guy is Christian Lemaire. We have so many other people as well. Basically, Aurelien Donet and Christian Lemaire. Kempo didn't exist in France. You know, it just didn't exist. And I'm so proud of these guys. They they're great campists. I mean. You've seen them, maybe kind of go, these guys are good. The nice thing to know is that I know you, you've you worked with Mr. Elliot a lot. I mean, you look at Mr. Elliot's top black belts. They'll, they, if you put put them all into one room, you'd, you'd wonder, you couldn't figure out who was who because they'd all move the same, be strong and dynamic. You know, that's, for me, that's important. You know, these guys are really good campists. And same for like in Denmark, we have Klaus Peterson. Klaus Peterson has been with me since. God, from from around ninety five, I think, a long time. And Klaus is he's got he has about four schools in Denmark, and he comes over maybe you know once or twice a year to us. To uh, then I I visit him pretty regularly as well. He's got some strong people. But Knight came along. I'm I suppose has an association, and for these guys, I realize what they need from me. You know, they need me to progress and work. In my mind, I'm so much more to learn because I understand the system and I understand what I need to learn. And I also need to, one of the challenges I say, when I start usually a black belt class, I say, now guys, you know, your biggest challenge is to remain a black belt. Because I know um, Lee Wettig was telling me that he's a flight instructor. And, and one of the things about a flight instructor, he has to stay qualified. He has to stay, that is, he has to maintain like, like like a lot of professionals, you have to maintain your professional qualification. Well, I say to my black belt, I said, yeah, you're, you know, you, you know, you got to be able to hold your standard. Hold, can you, you know, can you produce the same level of quality? Just because you got a black belt doesn't mean you remain a black belt. You know, it's a great achievement and we're proud of you for getting it. But to keep it maintained, you know, you have, a, you know, you have to work it and keep there. Ideally, you should challenge yourself to move forward. We have a curriculum up to fifth and beyond. Can we give people challenges, mental and physical challenges? You know, learn this move, learn this move. Or maybe uh, nowadays we have, have someone going, we had a guide test for six recently. And we say, okay, we, the challenge was, okay, I want you to construct a number of techniques with rear knife attacks that the guy is from a rear hand, he's, he's pumping from the rear with a knife. And I want to see techniques deal with the scenario of rear hand attack. So he came up where he really worked hard on that, came backwards like that, so that we have those. If, if I'm the chancellor of the university, and which I suppose like related to be about my to my degree, whatever, I think that that's where I think I how I accept the responsibility that I take on that, be what that role model I hope I, I should be. What would have been your hardest grading? I suppose I tested for four degree in Long Beach. That was interesting. I tested Mr. Sepulveda was on the Palmister. All those black belts in the London Beach, the tribute championships, I tested for four degree down down there. They were down there. Tested with Pat Salantry and a few other really well-known campuses. That was a tough test. The fifth degree was definitely a tough test. The black belt was a first degree was a tough test. And uh, they were tough in a different ways. The fourth degree was tough in the sense that the guys were trying to make sure they were setting the high standard. And so there was one of the first kind of tests that were post-Ed Parker. 
and everyone wanted to be, you know, well, let's give these guys a hard time. I was prepared. That was a tough test, uh, that fourth degree test. And I tested, a, usually a technique line to rotate the line. And they didn't, which kind of annoyed me because I had a black belt called Tony Martin in front of me. And Tony Martin is a good guy, very strong black belt. He's about six, seven or six, eight, very powerful man. He's laying into me. And then I had a guy behind me who's my Uki. He's about five, eight. And that poor guy, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I think it was, it was, I think it was bouncing like a basketball. I mean, he was, I mean, I was controlled. I was getting, Tony Martin was really, he was hitting me hard. And, and, and a great tech, great campist. And I was kind of sick. I was like, give me a chance on Tony Martin. Let me get in there. But they didn't rotate the line. They just, they let the, now, probably in, in that particular day, I was probably the best Uki for Tony Martin in the sense that I was big and Tony could, you know, he could deal with me. Uh, maybe that was a good way because, uh, anyone else, I think he was powerful and very strong. So that would have been challenging. So that was a tough test. I tested with good people. And it was nice to get up for all the, the floors from any good campus, you know. So over the years, I mean, I think in the US, I have a good reputation. I think time, hopefully people respect. I think the tests I've done over the years, both Black Belt and Beyond, I, I think I've proven that I have good spirit and I want, you know, both the physical and the mental, you know, that's, that's that's good. Pretty first, you know, second and third were at park. I mean, the third degree at park was. I'm so proud. That was a great rank to get. In those days, I mean, a third degree was like it was just the height of achievement. I mean, you couldn't have asked for more. I'm so happy. I'm, and to get it from Ed Parker, that's right. That that was so that was very special. And then Mr. Sapovita was, you know, basically he signed all my certificates from from basically fourth degree up to ninth degree. So I'm very proud of the lineage, but I'm also proud that I had the wisdom to make good decisions, pick a good teacher and to stay with a good teacher. Do you have any memorable moments that you could share that stick in your mind with either Mr. Parker or Mr. Sepulveda? Yeah, I mean, there's so many. Ed Parker, you'd have funny times. Or he, he liked a joke. He was he was a funny man. I mean, sit in the pool, but he'd want to hear all the jokes and whatever. In the first kind of... Eight years when he was coming to Ireland, he had a great time. He really enjoyed it. The last two years, Leilani, his wife, came, and that changed the dynamic of the trip because you couldn't sit in the car or the pub and let the guys tell you some saucy jokes or whatever. That wasn't going to happen. When we were in Greece, I was chatting away to him all the time and having a conversation with him. And I'm, we're walking down like a, you know, there's like a laneways and streets, like, like it's, it, better, it seemed like a hilly city at the time. So I got down the street and I'm chatting. And next minute I get this palm strike on the side of my shoulder and I'm walking this one direction. Suddenly I'm going that direction. And he's, there's some guy in a scooter coming at us and he, I'm so engrossed with the conversation. He just palms me, moves me in another direction and he keeps chatting to me. I think I told you earlier in, in the conversation that the two Irish guys that were me, they went out for, for a little drink after the day was over. They came back to the room of the, whole, the house where we were staying, where Ed Parker and, and we're staying. So they go, one of them goes in, he gets, he comes into the room where Ed Parker is. And what he does is, he, for some mad reason, he picks up, he tries to pull Ed Parker's pillow from under his head. I don't know why he would do this. I don't know, was he a suicide? He was starting to commit suicide or whatever. And Ed Parker opened his eyes 
and said, go on, take it. And the guy screamed and ran out of the room. <laughs> and like, basically, I think they, were, they had a, too few many drinks and they were, I don't know why they think they needed the pillow, but to take out Parker's pillow was not, not a good idea. And then I think another time I, I was driving at Parker in Ireland and I had a golf, a red golf. Mr. Parker had a golf, which is, a lot of people would be surprised at her. He had a, now he had a calf like, which he showed me from Ed Elvis, but he also had a golf. And he was saying, oh, you've got a golf out of like that. So I'm driving him to a seminar and it's down in the county called Wicklow. He has a bit of jet lag. Well, actually, like him, if I was in the car, I'd, I'd probably nod off as well. But he's in the car and I'm driving and he falls asleep on my shoulder. I'm coming to a sharp bend. I need to turn, but he's on my shoulder. And I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do if I try to push or hit Ed Parker to move him off me? He might smack or he might react and hit me or something like that. And he's sleeping on my shoulder. And I, was, I mean, I, I, I actually took that bend so wide so I didn't have to. I was trying to steer around the bend without having to push him off the shoulder. And um, yeah, no, he's, he was. Uh, he didn't pet his head. Well, I kind of, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of, the problem was as we turned the shoulder, you know, we want to be a little bit, a little bit tighter on, on the corner, you know, different things. I mean, you know, there's lots of nice memories. I mean, I mean, mainly just people who didn't even know him when they met him, he had a charisma. He had, he had a great charisma about him and he was yeah, an entertainer and whatever. And he just, he read the room, read people and was also quite entertaining. He was, Pretty, pretty entertaining to be around him. So every time I think of him, I just have a smile on my face. You know, I had a golf too when you came to Australia. There you go. You want to get the Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. think I think you asked me if it was a turbo or not, and I said no because <laughs> the rail was driving it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I was um, I was surprised. I was surprised when I seen the golf at his house and go, oh, okay. I already had it, but so it would um, look great car. Bought one for my daughter, so good car. Yeah, she still has it. Yeah, still has it. Got a note here in your story. You said Mr. Parker uh, took out a bag of knives, and I know that you have studied as a chef uh, knives and butchery and stuff. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your story then. Yeah, so we were, um, I was in his house in, in Pasadena. We were talking, talking and just talking. He was showing me that he had it on his computer, he had the Encyclopedia of Kempo. And he was saying, here, this is what I'm working on. And he was showing me, showing the computer and showing all different things. And then, if I, I don't know if you know, but he says he had this put a fake bookshelf, a bookshelf where he opened it back and he had a lot of gold behind the bookshelves. And anyway, we started talking about, about knife techniques. So he had this like big carpet bag and he took all these knives out. And obviously there were gifts from different people. And he was talking about cutting like this and filleting, tenderizing. You had a whole load of terminology. I, as a chef, I specialize in ladder work and I was really good at knife technique. So what I would do it is I could, I dissected like, you know, everything from, you know, I mean, at one point, one of the guys at the hotel, they gave me 20 bodies of lamb a week. And I think over, I did about maybe seven or 8,000 bodies of lamb dissected and I knew every tendon, every muscle, everything about a lamb, you know, how to cut it up. I could take it apart in less than a minute, strip it down. And I mean, I think one, one exercise someone gave, we needed a banquet once and they, a suckling pig, which is quite small. I made a small decision, just for my, enough for my hand to go through. And I removed every bone in that pig's body with the exception of the knuckles and the head. 
even the spinal column. Everything was removed without piercing the skin and are restuffed it with, with sausage meat and, and truffles. And the pig could be sliced all the way through with no bone, which is really specialized knife work because you really need to know what you're doing. So as I started working knife techniques and people were doing kind of messing around and doing things, I said, you can't do that. That's it's not going to work. You're going to gonna gut yourself. And or one guy hooked a, knife, a, hooked a knife over an arm was pulling backwards. I said, you just can't do that because it's got to pop off the arm and, and gut yourself, you know? Because you teach butchery to people, they just, you know, people, if you've got a knife in your hand eight, nine hours a day, cut, 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 you know, you know what the, the characteristic of a knife is. So Mr. Parker was talking about knives and whenever and how you would use them. And interesting enough, a guy called Joe Rebello is kind of into Campo history. Posted something there about two or three years ago that as a as a young man, um, uh, Mr. Parker had worked in some butchery in Hawaii as a, as a, as like a summer job, and that that's then the penny dropped because we were talking and as we talked in these two in Pasadena, what I found interesting was he was talking like I was talking like because I had used the knife a lot and he seemed to and then and then later on Joe Rivello had said that that he had done some butchery. That kind of made a lot of sense to me because he understood about how to use a knife. Because, I mean, there's people who take a knife and say, this is what we want to do. But when you do it, when you have to go to animals and rip them apart, I mean, take the bones out and then do specialized and understand where, you know, sometimes as a chef, you have to you have to cut it in a way. A butcher will cut something, say, for instance, and include a lot of bone because... You add bone to uh, the weight of a product, a prime product, prime piece of meat. And you can add some bone to it. You get more, more, more price for it per pound because of the weight. Where if you're a professional chef, you're cutting it for cooking purposes, and you're going to do it a lot differently. So you have to be a little bit more, have more finesse and more skill. Talk to Ed Parker. You know he he understood how to use a knife for whatever. And I just some. Video and teach us in Mexico, do some knife techniques and whatever. One of the things he he, he would do when he trained was he chalk up um uh, like the tanto little uh, training knives, and then he cut at you and he and then he go, and he did it a few seminars with us, and then he he you know say he say gotcha and you and say no you didn't and you see this X across your your black suit where you'd have X marked. He just he was so quick with his hands. That was a favorite technique he would do. I know there was a book that he was working on, Speak with a Club, Speak with a Knife. And I think um, stories I've heard that it was too, Mr. Parker felt it was a little bit too gruesome to be published. Knowing Ed Parker, he would have, I mean, he already had the foundations for a really good book. I mean, he really, he really did. He looked across, I mean, he obviously looked at the other styles that are out there in Cali and Filipino arts and that. And you know that he had, he, he would have worked with them and talked with them. So he 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 was an experienced martial artist. I mean, all these people demonstrated and performed at Long Beach. So, and and probably that knife collection that he showed me and demonstrated with me, I'm sure a lot of them were gifts from pretty, pretty impressive martial artists. So, yeah, we, we'd all wish to see what he would have done. I mean, if, you know, if he had another 10 or 15 years of all the material he would brought out to us. I think there'd be a bit of ground fighting, really, with all the prevalence of it coming through. Yeah, well, he was a judo black belt, you know, so he wasn't. Um, I don't think you see. I don't think Polynesians worry too much about ground fighting. 
I mean, the, with the mass they had and the, the weight they have, you've got to be realistic. You know, um, Polynesian guys, I mean, you've got to be a, you want to be a little bit of a crazy guy to have a, a, a nitrate, you know, go ground fighting with a Polynesian, big, big Polynesian boy. So maybe for Ed Parker, he didn't feel, even though he, he was very capable in judo, I think Polynesian boys were, even, even the good MMA guys might think twice about it. Tell us something about your life that does not involve martial art. You were a chef. Did you do anything different as a job? And do you have a hobby outside of martial arts? Oh, <laughs> I eat, drink, sleep, and martial arts are tempo, well, tempo particularly. Yeah. I read a lot. I think when I, I was at one point, I was over a capitologist, you know? Well, I was reading bells at once, um, re- um, the bell ringer, which is quite, quite complicated because you have to do it's like you you what they call it's 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 sequence of bells you, they, they call a number and you it's it's kind of very mathematical you better but they to make the tune each bell is a different different um timing and some of the bells are quite 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 large two or three tones and you, when you when you ring a bell you ring it and you stand it up so it stands upright with the open the white part of the bell facing upwards then you let it back down it rings and you stand it back up again and that's quite skillful. But I got to go to some of the old churches, like the cathedrals, and like they're about, you know, 1,000, 1,200 years old. That's very, that was very interesting. You know, a lot of history and visit the different churches. So my sister was doing it, and I, I did it for a while. And So what's that called? Caponology. Caponology, isn't it? Caponologist, right. Yeah. You may not have that in Australia because the churches here were pretty old. On the bell. They probably have some old churches where they have the bells. Ours are automatic over here now. Automatic, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, but, but it's it, but it, it is still a very interesting skill. How'd you get into that? My sister was doing it, and I said I went out to try and. But it was interesting because I mean I remember bringing um, I think it was Mister Labounty, down to the centre of Dublin, and it was this church, and it was about fifteen hundred years old. The church, and the tour guide said, "No, there's bells up in this. Uh, they haven't been rung for a thousand years." And I said, I, I said, excuse me, um, to the tour guide, that's not actually true, because the year before we had got up into the rafters, and although we played the bells by hand, we sat in the rafters, but like the tour guide was telling us that you know, thousand, no one's rang them in a thousand years. So actually, I did it last year, you know. So that, yeah. So it was interesting. You should have taken a selfie. <laughs> yeah, no, no mobile phones. <laughs> Yeah, no, God, if, um, God, if we had cameras, well, we had, I had, uh, I had a video camera with Mr. Parker, we got some footage. God, if, if we had the technology now, what, what, what would we see? Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, but there would be some interesting things. Yeah, I mean, I still enjoy cooking food. I mean, I still love cooking food. I, I, I still cook a lot and enjoy eating, eating food. Although I'm determined to be careful with, the, as Mr. Parker said, he was making his face boats. I'm going to be very disciplined with that for the future, I'm sure. You grew up in Dublin, is that right? And then your name yeah, is yeah, hiding yeah. in Selbridge. Yeah, no, I know I live in, my school is in Selbridge. I live in a town called Leakslip. And the word that Leakslip is a Viking Viking town. How do you spell that? Uh, L-E-I-X-L-I-P. Leakslip, yeah. So it's kind of... Um, so for the all uneducated, where is that? <laughs> it's in Kildare, County Kildare. Yeah, okay. it's in County Kildare. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's still, you're still not ringing any bells for me, Quasimodo. (laughs) (laughs) It's about a five-minute drive from from my school. Okay. And is that south in Ireland or...? Uh, well, we're on the east east coast of Ireland. Ireland, the east coast. Yeah, yeah. Remember, I'm on a, I'm on a different continent, right? I haven't been on. Yeah, yeah. You're on a, you're on, we're on a big island. We're in yeah. Tasmania. Yeah. We're like yeah. I think we're about Tasmania for you. You know. Yeah. Well, not yet. Anyway, I will. But uh, so you're still residing in Ireland in Lixlip. So that's an old Viking town. You're saying. Yeah, it's it's a it, Lixlip is a Viking ward. It it's it, the Vikings. It's called Salmon Leap. It, it's it's a Viking word it's called Samalik. So the the Vikings when they came to Ireland they used the rivers, the rivers for navigation, and they came up the they came up the river. It's a famous spot for where where the salmon would leap. So yeah, it's the leaks. So when I my when my Danish students come over, like to them that's an, that's it's it's a, they they know exactly what the word. We don't have to tell them what it means because it's a it's a Viking word. They know it. Yeah, so it's interesting. Nice, nice. Tell us about some of the countries you travelled to teach at. So I've been, well, I've been in, obviously taught in England, Jersey, uh, France, Germany, Belgium, Italy, um, Portugal, Spain, Denmark, Chile, all over all over the US and California, in Idaho, and what's it, Washington, New York. Australia. Australia, yes, yes, New Zealand, <laughs> actually New Zealand as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Australia, New Zealand, yeah, yeah. Like I, I have a lot of. Thankfully, a lot of people have asked me to travel. I kind of don't travel as much as as I used to travel. I still like to travel. I mean, I go to France every year. I go probably go to Denmark. I was in Port. I was in Portugal a few weeks ago. I was in. I go to Spain. I will go to Germany. There, you know, I've been to the U.S. This year, I've been to the U.S. I think two or three times teaching so um thankfully i'm popular and people seem to like what i teach i really enjoy teaching people and empowering them teaching and i like explaining things and i never ask people to meet what you want my students i have we have a school in austria we go to austria in austria being a switzerland teaching in austria we have a student mike hasselwanter he's the great he's a great guy and really really solid person he kept he kept coming to seminars and I kept teaching them and, and he kept enjoying it. And he, he said, eventually he said, how can I become your student? So we have to, you just had to ask because what other people were doing, they were asking people to be their student. And I have a philosophy. If you want to be my student, you ask me. But other people were asking them, would you like to be my student? And I kind of have, my mindset is, is that, you know, if you want someone to be your instructor, you should ask them, you know, you don't, you know, that's the way it should be. So Mike was waiting for three, four, five years. I said, I'm waiting for five years to be your, stu- your, your student. He said, well, all you have to do is ask, you know, he, he expected, yeah. he expected that he would, that I would ask him. I said, no, that, no, that's not the way we do it. So yeah. And in Switzerland. Uh, yeah, okay. So hopefully the penny will drop for a few people now after the podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> What what are your thoughts on cross training and with the prevalence of ground fighting styles? Do you guys incorporate any changes or any of it in your system? We we I've looked at it and, and have a like a fair. I, I understand it, and whenever we're there, I have people who do it. From a personal point of view, is that I don't like being on the ground, so I have enough techniques that will help me to get off the ground. But if, from a philosophy point of view, 
I see the ground has been in the wrong place to be. But I understand the necessity of being able to fight on the ground. But my feeling is if you're over-specialized, it's like a Taekwondo person primarily wants to kick. A judo person wants to grapple and throw. ground person wants to fight. So I think the uniqueness of Kempo should be that we will do what's required. And also from a tactical point of view, yes, we need to have basic skills on the ground, but we also should know that it's a, it's absolutely the wrong place to be. And I suppose but the philosophy point of view would be that you can only live with one person on the ground. If, you, if you've got more than one person, you're a big troll. So realistically, from a self-defense point of view, you're very vulnerable on the ground and... But nevertheless, it's it's a a lot of people have are, are ground skilled people have have good skills there. So we need to understand it, have the essentials, and then really focus on not getting down there. But if we're down there, know how to do, do what's essential and have it. And you know, so I think it's I wouldn't like to see Kempo becoming overly focused on ground, but it's a necessity. We it has to be had. It's like it's definitely part of the the toolkit. You must have it. Yeah, 50 years in Kenpo, how many years in teaching for you? They had me teaching. I was teaching from probably a brown belt. So I got my brown belt in 1978. I got, so 78 brown belt. So once I was a brown belt, I was teaching. I was teaching from then on. I ran the school and it was in the early days, I ran the school, collected the tuition fees and gave them to my instructor. You know, And I paid for my class that I taught. I taught the class, I paid for my class, I gave it to my instructor. I thought that was pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's how it was done back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Yeah. So, you're, you you pay for your own class. That's impressive. Yeah. 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 Uh, your organization, which is the European Kempo Karate Association. Yeah. That's still running. How do people join? Basically, just. They send an email or send a um, like a message or whatever, and I suppose it's like anything. If they're if they're serious or learning Campbell and they're interested, we're like a family. We're a happy family, and we, we if, if people want to join a happy family, they have to get on with all the other family members. We be it's like if you want to be in our family, you just want to be a just relatively decent person and sincere. I think if you're sincere and you want to learn, um, and you want to train with other good people a lot of people will come to our camp and that get that gives people an exposure to seeing who we are what we do and you know meet me mr sepulveda and all, and all the all the other instructors and enjoy kempo you know and that's it we we love kempo we love teaching kempo if people have that love of kempo and want to learn and progress then we're happy and i think having the right mindset that you're what to you want to improve your ability and standard or whatever. And I don't think people, it shouldn't be about rank. I mean, you know, if you're hopping from association to association for rank, then probably we're not what you're looking for. You will eventually earn rank when you've earned it and work for it, but that's not the point. The point is to, to, to be a good campuist and enjoy it and enjoy being with other people. You know, that's that's the point. Yeah. I know you got your own patch, the Selbridge Karate Academy is that the patch you guys use now with the? Well, we have our patches with the American Chemical Training System patch. We okay. that's our patch. So yeah. so if I if I stand up a little bit, that's our patch here. That's the patch, and then we have our school patch. So we have a Selbridge patch. You know, that's just like everyone has a school patch. Like when we go to the US and we we visit, 
Mr. Sepulveda, students of Mary were, were exactly the same. We all do the same curriculum. One of the things we, we wanted to do with our association was that every school would have the same curriculum. We'd be all on the same page and the same for the US. So we go over to Mr. Sepulveda, we train with our family in America, that we're all on the same page. They're all one association, one we share and we we can we mix together. And that's one of the successes that if I go out to France or Denmark or California or New York, we're all wearing the same patch. We're all doing the same technique. So there's obviously we have the little personal um, you know, inputs and whatever, and that's the nature of Kempo. But we're the same Kempo family and we all support and help each other. So that patch unifies us for sure. What do you envisage for the future of your lineage and what advice would you have for your goal? Ooh, well, hopefully this is, hopefully they don't play this back at my funeral. <laughs> I think we have a good, solid group of people. We have some guys who are writing very good schools. Their mindset is good. Most of the guys have been with me, say, like John and Richard Burgess. They are, two, you know, they are with me now, I suppose, about 40 years training with me so they are good people very very intelligent people we have lots of really good you know i have julian mcdermott is a really top black belt and um, klaus peterson eduardo de la Torre has been with us for a long time he he was with graham and when graham moved to the us he came under our, our banner we have so many good you know high-ranking students and they've been living under the ethos of our association so um, structurally, we we were sound. I, I have four grandsons, and I'm open, you know, God willing, that I get all four grandsons up to up to black belt and beyond. Maybe hope the future is good. Don't think what happened with Ed Parker will happen with us, because we are we are very because like we talked about our association, we're a very good family. We all get on with each other. We're all friends. All the guys with me are with me for. 30, 40, you know, years. I mean, you know, that kind of relationship, you know, is is very strong, very solid. And I know it's happened, you know, with other associations, but I think I'm confident that we'd have a good group and they all they'll all stay together and be maligned to each other. How do you stay motivated and continue to progress in your journey now as time passes? I've, I'm driven. I'm just I don't know. I mean, I can't I can't explain it. I have I, I just enjoy Campo. I really, I, I mean, I really enjoy it. I, it's something that I just can't explain. I mean, I'm just motivated as, as ever. I mean, I was here in the Lord yesterday. Yes, I mean, yesterday morning, Saturday, we were, um, I was teaching here and we had, we, we our class started off on Saturday with the very young kids. So we had three-year-olds and then it goes up to all the black belts at the end. And then I, actually yesterday we had a test as well. So that was a nice ending to the day. So we, I just, I'm enjoying teaching. I'm motivated, driven. I really enjoy empowering people. I mean, I think if you look at a, a football coach or a rugby coach or a soccer coach or a basketball coach or whatever, and they just love producing good players and training people. Uh, like all, I just love coaching and teaching and uh, explaining, passing on. And, it, and it's nothing better if you go in, if I'm an enthusiast and Go teaching other enthusiasts. That's really good fun. That's uh, yeah. It's uh, it's 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 enjoyable. It's enjoyable. And nowadays, when I go teaching or visit, I, I you know I I like to see the country and the food and travel a little bit so that 
you know, I get to know my students and where they live and what they do and what makes them tick. Thankfully, I really motivated and, and I, hopefully that motivation has reflected on my students. Very good and very, so some of the schools we have now are so successful. Very, they're great, great, a lot of students, they have their own uh, studios, buildings, and they are really, they've achieved a lot. So I'm very proud of what I have achieved, but also I'm, I'm very motivated. I'm a, uh, I, I'm definitely a lot more, as I, Bob White said, he unfortunately was, he, he said he would be leaving his studio in a coffin and pretty much that's what happened to Bob White. My plan is that I, I'm not retiring. I, I joke, I was joking with my students yesterday. I believe I retired, I re, when I when I went full-time in Kempo, I consider that my retirement. I So I, I retired teach Kempo full-time at 35 years of age. So 35 years of age, I effectively retired from regular work and just teach Kempo. And someone says, you can't teach Kempo for a living. Well, guess what? Yeah, I've done it for 30. Yeah, yes, you can. Yeah, yes, you can. Someone starting out in the martial arts, um, what advice would you have for them if they were looking to start out in martial arts? I think the most important thing is a good teacher. Most martial arts... It all depends on your level of commitment because most people, it's convenience. It has a lifestyle convenience. If, you know, they'll they look at a school and if something's near to them, they might go with the guy who's near to them. You know, some people will not necessarily travel a bit, but yeah, sometimes you might get exposed to one or two different martial arts and or different teachers and then realize, hang on, this is a better teacher. There is a, there is a kind of a thing with martial arts where you lock into one teacher, you kind of, almost religious you don't leave them you stay with them and that's understandable because loyalty to your teacher is very important in martial arts responsibility to your students is also very important so if your instructor is treating you well and being kind and educating you well then you have a great teacher but if he's not doing those things and not being responsible and kind then you need to maybe educate yourself is there other options for you it's a two-way one is a saying you no know, you have to be, it's a two-way street in terms of those uh, for students. Find a good teacher and be a good student. But the, but the teacher has a responsibility to treat you well, you know, train you well, be, you know, guide you well. And if that's not happening, then you need to find a good teacher. And there is a lot, I didn't go watch, I used to travel around Dublin and watch every class. I used to go to every different school in Kempo. Every Shotokan school, Wadaroo school, I sit in and watch the teacher. I sit in and watch them. If I, if I went to a city, any city I went to, no matter where I went, if I see there was a martial arts class, I'll watch them. Just watch the teacher, see how they taught. And even though I didn't maybe know the style, I would learn something. And I would love to watch their mechanism, how do you taught, how do you instruct. I told an interesting story to uh, I, that when people watch the original Cranny Kid movie, they watch Mr. Miyagi and then the, the real stern militaristic instructor, you know. And then we watch people teaching martial arts classes. Who's the role model? Is it the militarist instructor or is it Mr. Miyagi? Well, I think it's mostly the militaristic instructor because they like that power and dominance over people. So yes, you need to be firm and strict, but you need also have a personality and your students should have a smile on their face and be happy. So, uh, you know, it, it should be, if you have someone who's stepped in front of you, you have a responsibility to educate them and train them, not to abuse them. And I think the era 
of students being taken advantage of and abused is hopefully in the past. Um, hopefully that's long gone. I would uh, I would hope that um, people will, there are more good instructors out there than there are bad instructors. I, that's my hope. Yeah. Um, if you had to win parts of wisdom or an inspirational quote on our listeners or a mantra that you live by, what would that be? I, I think Ed Parker has a lot of quotes about White's a lot of quotes. I think live life to the full. I've, I've seen as you reach a certain age, you realize the value of life. Live it. Don't, if you, you know, make make efforts to do things, challenge yourself. You know, if you have, if you love, if you're involved in martial arts or in Kempo, try to experience as much as you can. Look after your family. Your family are very, so I think it's family first, art second, you know, friendships, all those things, All it's all rolled into one. Just live a good life, and sometimes the the easy choice is not the best choice. Take the hard road. Sometimes you know I've seen so many people take what looks like an an easy choice, but you know you will be found out, and it often not if it looks like a pig, smells like a pig. Guess what? It's probably a pig. <laughs> you know, so wherever you're an avid book reader, are there any books that you would recommend or that you've been featured in as well? I suppose you've been featured in the... Yeah, well, uh, the journey books are, are always... I mean, Tom Leaker did a great job of the journey books. And like you're doing with your podcast, he's he's, he's recorded the, the oral histories of a lot of people. And they are... It, it, it's a valuable resource for people. But I think, obviously, Ed Parker's Infinite Insights are something you should read. One little bit of advice is that the manuals are not gospel. And I talked to Ed Parker about the manual so many times. And one of the things I said, I said to him, look, Mr. Parker, that says data center. You know, he said, yeah, yeah, that's wrong. Everyone knows that. And I said, I said, you've got to correct it. And he denied it. And like, I go, no, no, Ed Parker said that. He, he didn't mean that. that. That's not correct. Like we talked earlier is that, you know, we it's a physical art. There are certain fundamentals and basics and, and, and laws of physics and dynamics and application of reality, you know, so educate yourself. Infinite Insights are good. Um, there are a lot of other books. I mean, I enjoy science fiction. I read science fiction as an escape, which is which is interesting. I think uh, I, I think we've all, pro- you should probably expand. I mean, uh, we this year we had a Wing Chun guy, uh, Samuel Kwok, at our camp. And so we had a look at that and we've, I think we'll have some jiu-jitsu guys and we'll have weapons. We have Benny Akitas at our camps a few times. Expand your, I love Kempo and Kempo's my mother art, but there are lots of other styles out there. So you need to educate yourself and, you know, you can educate, read it, you know, watch it, feel it. You know, they're all very important aspects. And, and you have a lot, there's so many good people out there. You've a, you've a, you've a lot, you'll never run out of opportunities for learning and study. So for people interested in training with you, let us know where people can find you, location, email, website. Yeah, so we, we have a website. It's uh, campokarate.ie. That's the website. Then my, you could email me. At, my email is campoed1 at gmail.com. So it's campoed1 at gmail.com. So that's a easy email to remember. Basically, if you... You know, if we can help you and and it's possible for you to work with us, and we 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 would be happy. I mean, the main thing is is that my dream of passion is to see people enjoy Kempo and have a good have a have the potential to enjoy Kempo and have a long career Kempo and make friends in Kempo and be a part of a 
greater campus family where you can, you know, it's like all other activities of sports is that we can just enjoy what we love doing in, in a very safe and friendly environment and that people that people care about you and you care about them. That's what I want to see. And do you guys have, uh, you're on Facebook as well? Yeah, we're on the IFS, so Selbridge Kempo Karate Academy on Facebook. Um, I think we have, that's probably a good one to catch me on if you want to Facebook just so you can, or just check me out at, at, at Downey on Facebook. I'm, I'm pretty much there. I'll have to get some of my daughters to do more social media stuff. I'm probably not as active as I should be. Thanks, Mr. Ed Downey, ninth degree Kempo Master for joining us on the Mind Sensei podcast. Always a pleasure to talk to you and see you, sir. Okay. It's been great spending time with you. Too long between drinks, I think. We need to definitely. get together more often, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe I definitely have a reason to visit Australia now. Yeah. Yes, definitely. That's for sure. Well, if you come to Melbourne, you know where you're coming. So exactly, yeah. Well, uh, Peter Taz's house, and um, yes. and we go for we go for Declan for a steak. You know? Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah. Okay. It's been great talking to you. There you have it, dear listeners, the conclusion of our captivating conversation with esteemed master, Ed Downey, in part two of the Mind Sensei podcast. I'm your host, Peter Taz, and it's been an absolute pleasure guiding you through the intricate fusions of Kempo and mindfulness. Master Downey's insights into the advanced Kempo karate system and his international collaborations are of the profound connection between martial arts and the mind have truly been a treasure trove of wisdom. We extend our deepest gratitude to Master Ed Downey for generously sharing his experience, knowledge and passion with us. Your journey, Master Downey, is an inspiration to martial artists and mindfulness seekers alike. To our listeners, thank you for joining us on this incredible journey. If you haven't already, let's make sure to catch part one to truly appreciate the full spectrum of Master Downey's story. Stay tuned for more enriching episodes as we continue to explore the fascinating intersection of martial arts and the mind on the Mind Sensei podcast. Until next time, stay mindful, stay curious, and keep striving to be your best self. Subscribe, share. Until next time, this is Peter Taz, your Mind Sensei, signing off. And for those wishing to reach out to Master Downey, he can be reached at Selbridge Karate Academy. Unit 6, The Mill, Main Street, Selbridge, Kildare, Ireland. You can also be reached on the email at ed.downey at kempokarate.ie. Also available on Facebook and also available on their website at www.kenpokarate.ie. You can also reach Mr. Downey on plus 353162702232. Or you can click on all the links in our show notes. I'm your host, Peter Taz, and you've tuned in to the Mind Sensei podcast from Down Under. We want to take a moment to thank all our listeners for tuning in to the Mind Sensei podcast. We appreciate your support and hope our show has been both informative and entertaining for you. If you haven't already done so, we would like to invite you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know when we release new content and you'll have access to all of our past episodes. 
We also encourage you to visit our website at mindsensei.au where you can find additional resources related to martial arts. On our site you can read blog posts, videos and learn more about the guests we feature on our show. Finally, we'd like to thank our guests for sharing their knowledge and experience with us. Without their generosity, this podcast would not be possible. Thank you again for listening to the Mind Sensei podcast down under. We hope that you continue to join us on this journey through the world of martial arts.